66,000. It's a pretty big number, right? 66,000. I'm a math major. I don't know if I can count that high. 66,000 is a good salary. It's a city's population. It's probably the number of people in line in front of you in Chick-fil-A, right? 66,000. 66,000 people. A few years ago, I was doing some studies on unreached people's groups. What does that mean? That is people that have no access to the gospel. They have no preachers, no really missionaries, no Bibles translated in their language, no access to the truth. And 66,000 of those people die every single day. 66,000. That doesn't include those in America that have rejected the church or maybe not given any interest to the church. That is just people that are unreached completely. 66,000 every single day. In two days, we can fill up Jerry World in any seating capacity and stand on the field even. And we still would have more people. 66,000. Joseph Stalin... He says this, a single death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. A terrifying quote from a terrifying man, and yet he is saying something true. When the numbers get that big, we are just kind of immune and overwhelmed and overcome, but really just paralyzed by a statistic like that. Right? If we heard a story of a young family getting hit by a drunk driver, we would mourn and we would weep and we would be distraught over how could that wreck our community. And yet, we know and read that in China and North Korea and India and across Africa or the Middle East and South America and even parts of uh, like indigenous tribes around in the North America, People are dying with no access to the gospel. And we did nothing about it. I'll be honest, when I hear a statistic like that, I think the job is so big, the fight is so hard, the question really is, what can I do? I am one person. What difference do I really make in the scheme of things? Maybe you're asking the same things. Maybe you're sitting there going, Jordan, that is awful way to start off on such a downer note. But even if we all went right now, could we really make a difference? I mean, I don't expect to save thousands in my lifetime, much less thousands in one day. How can we make a difference? We feel defeated and overwhelmed. We're heartbroken, but we also feel hopeless. So today, I want us to unpack some of this idea. I want our minds to shift to those that do not know of amazing grace and grace greater than our sins. I want us to shift to a mindset today, understanding that we understand and know a message that is fully and is transformative for us and that we are called to then share that. So we're continuing our pursuit series. We started off that we are to pursue Christ. We are to be devoted to His Word and to prayer. We are to pursue community that nobody is exempt from that. I've had some fantastic days over the last week getting connected with different church members. And if you didn't get connected with me this week, you're probably on the list for a future week. I want to get to know you. I want to get connected with you. But today, what we must understand is that we must pursue the lost. The same way that God pursued us, we are to pursue 
those that He has put in our path and around us, those that do not know Him. Here is the one thing, if you get nothing from the next 23 minutes after this, I want you to make sure you get this. Every believer has been given this mission to the lost. Every believer has been given the charge that you are called to pursue the lost. Every single one of us. Where do we get that? Acts 1.8. You are to be my witnesses, right? You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's you. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. Most of us claim to be his followers, all right? That means you are called to be my witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5, fantastic set of verses here. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, Christ has given you a job. You have a duty. You have a responsibility. The ministry of reconciliation is your ministry. You don't have to have the title minister because guess what? He's going to call you that. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed not just the ministry of reconciliation, but the message of reconciliation. You and I that know the truth and grace that is found in Christ are now sent out as messengers with a message that transforms. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making His appeal through us. You, are, you have a ministry, you have a message, and you are an ambassador. You are a witness. Matthew chapter 28, remember what Jesus says? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You are called to be a witness. You are called to make disciples. You are called to share this message. What is evangelism? Most basically, evangelism, which is the sharing of the good news to the lost, is this, most basically, showing and sharing the truth and grace found in Jesus Christ. Showing and sharing the truth and grace of Jesus. I hope you know that, and I hope you have experienced that. And if that is the case, guess what? It's now time to go show and share it. Matthew 28, Jesus says, make disciples. And I fear that we just haven't done a great job with that. We've kind of missed the mark. Robbie Gallaty says this. He says, if the church was called to make converts, we're doing okay. But if the church was called to make disciples, then we are failing. What's the difference? A convert is a person that we've convinced to pray a prayer and they have a hope of being saved, but they don't respond to Jesus as their Lord, just as a hope of a Savior. A convert checks a box, raises a hand, maybe even is baptized, but then they put their salvation card in a fireproof box and wait till that eternal time where they have to pay. That's what a convert is. They don't live their life any differently. No, they just say this thing and hope that it covers them. Jesus didn't call us to make converts, church. He didn't say, get as many hands as you can raise. He didn't say, get as many prayers as you can pray. He didn't say, get as many cards as you can sign. No, He says to make disciples, to make followers of Me, people who see Me as their Lord and their Savior, that know that their only hope for salvation and their only guide to life is to follow Me fully. He says, make disciples. 
Converts stop at just praying a prayer. Disciples pursue Christ. At First Baptist, we are a church helping people know and follow Jesus. We are a church committed to showing and sharing the truth and the grace found in Christ. We are a church for our community and for the lost. We are a church that I expect every class, every color, every stage of life, every spiritual history, every seeker, every skeptic, every devout person, every doubter, every single person is welcome in this place because we are all journeying together, learning about Jesus, knowing Him, and following Him. This is our church. This is what you should expect of us. This is what you should expect of me. And this is what I expect of you. We do not discount that the grace that has changed me can change them. I don't care what they look like, what they smell like, what they wear, where they live. We have a message that God loves all people. And we're going to live it out. To the least, to the last, to the lost to the rich, to the poor, to the Greek, to the Jew. Paul says there is no distinction and we're going to live in that mindset. Revelation says that we need to picture every tribe, every tongue, and every nation worshiping in heaven. Can we picture it in a sanctuary like this, church? Unfortunately, for too long, the church has traded its missional task to go and show and share with instead a personal pursuit of holiness. There's nothing wrong with a personal pursuit of holiness and godliness, but if we do it at the expense of showing and sharing the grace and truth of Jesus, we've missed the mark. See, we have traded in these hard and difficult conversations for what we think we can control and handle on our own. Well, if I just say this, if I just read this, we judge ourselves not by how many conversations with lost people did we have this week. We judge ourselves by how many prayers did I pray? How many times did I read my Bible? Did I show up to church? And did I live fairly good? The focus of Jesus was on tax collectors and sinners. But we focus on this game of religion, insulating ourselves from the lost, sleeping at night in the comfortable cocoon of Christian community, never once considering the, return, the eternal reality of those that we work with, live beside, or call family. We are content pursuing a life of better pay, prestigious titles, and bigger homes while we neglect the dire state of our neighbors who are destined for an eternity separated from God, much less we consider those across the globe and around this world that have no access to Him. May we pursue the mission Christ has given us to be His witness, to show and share His love. He saved you not just so that He can just be with you. He wants to be with you. He loves you. But He also has called you to be an instrument of salvation to the world. The free gift that then tells us how to live. So, here's where you get a little uncomfortable, right? Here's where you get a little overwhelmed, a little uneasy. Here's where the excuses start to flood in. Let me go ahead and say them for you. I'm not gifted in that. I'm too awkward. I don't know a lot of people. I'm too old. I'm too sick. I'm too weak. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. Then you have all these fears that come in, right? Like, I don't know enough. Shouldn't you do that? You're a professional. You were trained. You did school on this. We begin to say, what if I mess up? What if I don't have all the answers? What if I say something wrong? Church, here's what you need to hear. God has enlisted you. He knows who you are. And yet He calls you His ambassador. Are some more knowledgeable than you? Yeah. Are some better with words? Probably. 
Are some more courageous? Maybe. Do some have more opportunities than you do? I bet. But that doesn't excuse you. Because here's the deal. Were you the very best teacher at the school you work at? Are you the very best mom on the street that you live? Are you the smartest employee in the whole company? Are you the most efficient engineer? Are you the best singer, the most talented this or that? No, probably not. But that's not an excuse for you not to do a good job. Whether or not you're the very best teacher, the, the best engineer, the, the lovingest mother, it didn't stop you from loving those kids, working hard every day and teaching those students, did it? We've got to get rid of this mentality of, well, somebody may be better. Okay, but you're also called. We need you. See, I am a natural evangelist of things. If you don't have an Instant Pot or an air fryer, come talk to me. I'll get you to get one by the end of the day. I love to tell people about new restaurants or movies or television shows. My parents have this list of shows. I'm like, you have to watch that. And then I follow up. They never watch it. And it's just okay. You know, whatever. I sold my car on Carvana a few months ago. And I like told like 15 people. They were very happy with their cars. You've got to sell your car on Carvana. It's the best thing in the world. I'm a natural evangelist. When I taste something, I want you to taste it. When I see something, I want you to see it. When I experience something, I want you to experience it. And yet, when it comes to this, the message that has fully transformed my life, I get cold feet, I get anxious, I make excuses, I don't want to interfere, I don't want to offend, I don't want to disrupt somebody, I don't want to get into a debate. That's got to change. So church, I know I haven't even asked you to open your Bible yet, but that's the time we've gotten to now. So, if you've got your Bible, flip with me to Acts chapter 8. We're right through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts 8 is showing us how the church is operating. We have seen that they are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We're just seeing they are devoted to the fellowship. And now in chapter 8, we're going to see that they are devoted to the lost. So, what is going to happen today is we're going to get a guide on how do we live out this idea of showing and sharing the truth and grace found in Jesus. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now the, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, he's a disciple, or he is a, a, an, a follower of the way. He's been trusted, and so he is living out this following of Jesus. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's a desert place. Verse 27, he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kansas, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem for worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this is a person interested in uh, the Bible, interested in this God of Israel. It says in verse uh, 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, 
About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Philip opened his mouth. Beginning with this scripture, he told the good news of Jesus. And as they came, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Let's stop there. I see four things, four very practical things that every single one of us can learn from this passage and respond to this week. Four practical things. First one is this. We need to learn to respond to the Spirit. We need to respond to the Spirit. Now, I am not sure if this angel of the Lord was visible and audible. Could he see and hear him? Was it just audible? Was it just a voice that Philip knew God was speaking to him through an angel? Or was it just a feeling? See, that's where most of us land, right? The Spirit that indwells with all believers is speaking to us. Would we prefer at times an angel that is visible and audible? We think so. I'm not sure if that would be the preferred method, but that's what we would think right now until we lay prostrate on the ground freaking out because that's what everybody else does when they see an angel. But it says, here's what's clear. He knew what he was supposed to do and he rose and went. He rose and went. For most of us, God's Spirit is working in us to lead and to guide us towards His will. But I wonder if we notice. I wonder if we notice where God is leading us. I wonder if we even have time in our life, if we've created any space where we can hear the Spirit of God. Because every moment of our life is filled with noise. Whether it's our phone that we're scrolling through for something, whether it's a text message constantly beeping, whether it is a news channel that's just always going, whether it's phone conversations or interactions that we have with people, every moment of our day is filled with noise, it feels like. Do we have any space to hear the Spirit? And then when we do, do we respond? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if we could make a hundred excuses as to why I shouldn't do this. It doesn't seem like the safest, the smartest, the wisest, the best. Shouldn't I do this? I mean, the groceries still need to be picked up. I, I need to go and do this. Will we respond? I think it's interesting. Verse 26 says, he was sent to a desert place. All, most of us would say, well, God, I mean, if you're going to send me, aren't you going to send me to a highly populated, high traffic, like really needed space? He was sent to a desert place, and yet he rose and went. There's a great illustration that I think helps us understand this responding to the Spirit. J.D. Greer tells it. He was the, uh, I don't know if he still is president of SBC National Convention, but he was, I believe. He says, all right, imagine, I'm going to contextualize it for us. Imagine that you're going to Mama's Daughter's Diner down there on Royal. Go hang out with me and Dave. You're crossing over the train tracks, and you hear a faint noise. It's not a train. It sounds like more like a person. You look, and on the south side, down towards Farmer's Branch Lane, is a person that is stuck in the train tracks. The age-old story, right? They're stuck on the train tracks. Further in the distance, you see that light that's coming. You know what that means. The train is on its way. So, if you're a Christian, you put your car in park, right? You hear that thing, and immediately you begin to pray. God, is this your will for me? God, are, are you wanting me to go help that person in need? 
Uh, you quickly assess your capabilities. Are, are you ready? Do you know enough about trains, about people, about people getting stuck? Are, are you fully prepared? Have you had this experience before where you taught this lesson in Sunday school so you can go help? Did you work out that week so that you're strong enough to go and pull them out? Absolutely not, right? You don't see this need and go, well, is this for me? You see the need and you begin to try to meet it. You run to them. You help them. You get them safety. Maybe you don't run anymore. What you can do is you can yell. You're pretty good at that. Maybe you're not even good at yelling, but your horn works. You start beeping that horn. You start doing everything within your power to bring about safety and well-being to the person that is doomed. We don't sit around having to have some special word. We understand that the word of God is leading us to be his witnesses, to show and share his truth and grace to all that we interact with. Too often, I, I think our problem, we blame it on opportunities, but really I think our problem is obedience. Will you respond to the Spirit? All right, we've got to get to two, three, and four. They're going to be much faster, so don't, don't be worried too much. Number two. Start where they are. Start where they are. We had this discussion in our Sunday school class this morning, actually. Do you see what Philip does? Verse 30, Philip ran over to him. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked a simple question. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip doesn't just hand him a track and say, well, I hope you find what you're looking for. He doesn't corner him and begin to go, well, here's a 30-minute lecture on how Jesus completely fulfills everything in Isaiah. He doesn't pepper him with questions. Well, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? No. Philip asks a question you can ask. Do you understand what you're reading? What are you reading? Do you know about Jesus? Have you ever been religious? You see somebody with a Bible out at a coffee shop. Hey, what are you reading? Hey, where do you go to church? Do you go to church? You're walking with your neighbor and you share. Hey, yeah, this morning it was great. Our pastor's not very good, but the music was excellent, right? Like, let me tell you about it. You can come for the first 15, 20 minutes and you'll be happy as can be. Philip starts where he is. You can ask questions. You don't have to have every answer, but you can ask questions. Number three, he steps through open doors. Verse 31, he asks, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. That's not like a crack of an open door. That's like a blown open, wide open door. Hey, will you come teach me about this? And what does Philip do? Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he started where he was, and then began to teach him the good news about Jesus. Philip jumps into the chariot, begins to share who Jesus is. He starts where he is, and then he steps through this open door to teach him that Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a horrific death to pay the way for horrific sinners like you and I to live with their perfect God and step into heaven. He taught him who Jesus is from where that person was. He allowed this open door to be an opportunity. So the question is, will you respond to the Spirit's leading? Will you start where people are, not where you want to start? Will you step through open doors? And I want to offer a warning. Not every door 
that is open is going to be easy always. Not every door that is open is just simple and smooth. Not at all. Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and he says, he kind of does some planning with them. He says, I've got to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And then in verse 9 he says this. It's a crazy verse to me. For a wide open door for effective work has opened to me. Oh, that's awesome, Paul. We're so excited. You preach, buddy. You preach. But then he adds, and there are many adversaries. A wide open door for evangelism has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. We don't think in those terms. Opportunity is mutually exclusive with opposition in our mind, right? We either have opportunity or there's opposition. We either have people coming, everything's growing, everything is good here, or we have all this opposition. People are frustrated and leaving and all of this. But Paul is saying that can happen simultaneously. Opportunity doesn't mean there's not going to be opposition. And opposition doesn't mean that's not the opportunity God has placed in front of you. Do not be scared away by opposition when God is calling it an opportunity. All right, the last lesson is this. Will you respond to the Spirit? Will you start where they are? Will you step through open doors? This is something every single one of us can do. Number four, do not limit the work of God in someone's life. Don't limit. The eunuch is understanding. And then in verse 36, they're going around and they see water. And he says, see, here is water. He understands this is how you respond in obedience and faith to what Jesus has done. He says, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, I want to teach you something that you're going to walk away and go, that's probably the only thing you learned today. There's no verse 37 in your Bible. Now, in your footnote, you may see it. In the footnote, it says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, most of us, we get a little uneasy when Philip, he just says, hey, can I just be baptized? And they just jump into it. Shouldn't he have to prove some fruitfulness? Shouldn't he have to show some discipleship? Shouldn't he need to learn a little bit more? Philip says, you want to be baptized? You want to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ? You want to proclaim the outward, uh, the outward showing of what has changed you inwardly? Absolutely. Let's pull over and let's have you baptized. If this was Jordan, I would have said, well, let's wait a few weeks. Philip says, all right, let's go get baptized. Do not limit what God wants to do in someone's life. I like to say it this way. Don't put a no in someone's mouth. Don't answer for them. Don't limit them. Don't deny them opportunities. Because God is working in through and around people in ways that we don't even understand. Let's not stand in the way. We don't need to quench passions. We don't need to answer with, well, we typically don't do it that way. Do you remember the story of Levi? We'll study this this week in our devotions. Levi gets, meets Jesus at the tax booth. Jesus says, come and follow me. He gets up. He leaves his lucrative job to go follow Jesus. And then do you know what he does? He throws a party. And do you remember who's invited to that party? The only friends Levi has, tax collectors and sinners. I don't have a lot of friends with tax collectors and sinners. I'm pretty insulated with Christians. But you know who unbelievers aren't? They're not insulated like we are. They have lost people all around them. We don't need to limit what God wants to do in, through, and around them. Is there a place for growth and discipleship and learning? Absolutely. But let's not take them off the streets and put them in a classroom too fast so that God can't work through them. 
because the life, that the urgency of the gospel is real. So, most basically, evangelism. Showing and sharing the truth and grace found in Jesus. And every single one of us are called to that. Three just random things to think about. When you think of this, treat people like people, not projects. People, not projects. They're individuals, not assignments. Share your story, not just a script. People don't want textbook answers. They want to know why you believe and why you surrender your life to this. Finally, count conversations, not just conversions. What do I mean by that? Some of us get demoralized. Well, we tried to share the gospel, it didn't work. No. It maybe just takes a little bit more work. I learned this from a pastor in Canada. That's a really dark, tough place. They're post-Christian, 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 all right? And he said, whenever we meet somebody, whenever we have a spiritual conversation, the goal of that spiritual conversation is to have another conversation. That I wasn't off-putting, that I wasn't pushing them away, that they want to follow up. Can our goal be with our neighbor, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers? be? Well, every time we have a spiritual conversation, the goal be, man, we get to have another one. Count conversations, not just conversions. And remember this, it's God that saves and you that share. You're not called to convert, you're called to converse. Most of us can do that pretty well. You're called to share. Maybe that's sowing, planting, watering. I don't know. Every once in a while you get to see a harvest, but your job is to be faithful with the message God has given you. So I leave you with this one question as we finish. Do you believe that God can, will, and wants to use you to change somebody's eternity? Do you believe that God can, will, and wants to use you to be a part of, to be an instrument in changing someone's eternity. It's Him that does it. But for some reason, He uses us. We are His instruments, His vessels, His ambassadors, His ministers, His messengers. We are His witnesses. Do you believe that this year, somebody's eternity will be changed and you get to play a part in it? God wants that. Do you? So, Church, may we leverage relationships for the sake of Christ. May we look for and take opportunities to respond and to show and share the truth and grace. Let me pray for us.